0: It's March 10th, 2018 in New South Wales, and there's a few staff members of Australia's rowing team um, huddled around a Concept 2 rower in what I can only imagine to be a hotel ballroom. Barefoot and shirtless, Josh Dunkley-Smith rips on the handle at 34 strokes per minute in what will become the fastest 2K ever recorded on the Concept 2 rower. He grits through the final few pools, and the end screen shows five thirty-five. That's under a minute and 24 seconds per 500 meter split pace. On the ERGs, there's no way to hide from a lack of capacity. Either you have it or you don't. So whether you're rowing or biking or skiing or running, you have to be willing to put in the time to get the adaptation. So you want to be great? Let's talk about how you can master the machines. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. Fitness Movement is brought to you by Sewer Fitness. Sewer Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver training content to coaches and athletes like you. The site has educational resources on everything from program design and exercise physiology to skill progressions and movement breakdowns. And in terms of programming, we have our online training program, The Protocol, and I also offer one-on-one remote coaching. It's all at one place, ZwerFitness.com. So today's episode also has a video version. So if you're someone who's just listening to this on audio only platform, realize that on YouTube, I'm going to occasionally start posting some podcasts that have also a video version. So if you're someone who really enjoys the video version, be sure to head over to YouTube and check that out. And welcome back to my rant on mastering the machines. So today's outline, first question that I want to answer is what is mastery? So in other words, if we're mastering the machines, what kind of themes or commonalities are people looking for, athletes looking for in terms of building their cyclical proficiency? What specific things are they looking for? Then we're going to get into what I am calling prerequisites to power. So if you want to get really good on the ERGs, what are some things that are necessary for you to do before you get there? Then number three is technique tips. So what is the most common error I see on each of the ERGs? And then what is a simple fix that you can do for each one of those common errors? And then lastly, I want to go through three machine-based tests. The first is going to be a 1K row time trial. second is going to be the 10-minute test on the air bike. And number three is going to be triple three. So the workout triple three, which was 3K row, 300 double unders, three-mile run. So I'm going to build out a week of what what could be a week, three sessions for each of those. Um, and what could be like the first week of training and how you could progress each one of those sessions that would be appropriate, because those are sort of three different unique tests. And really, you could probably figure out a way to build out a progression for really any cyclical goal based on um, those parameters. So let's begin. What is mastery? Mastery is subjective. It's an idea, a concept of you getting closer and closer to your best self. And I kind of want to summarize and distill down what some of the conversations I've had with athletes about cyclical performance and trying to get to their best self. Um, here are some of the themes that I've kind of felt we can boil down a mastery of the ergs into. So it could be improving your comfort on the ergs. So this is both physical and psychological. So for example, what can I do to help my um, butt not fall asleep on the Concept2 rower, for example, or it could be something psychologically like how do I get comfortable being uncomfortable. Two is your ability to go long. So in other words, like endurance events, being able to add duration and sustain somewhat of a reasonable output across that time. Right? It's not just about, you know, finishing the marathon. It's like I want to run continuously for the whole marathon at a certain pace, right? So again, if we're talking about what is mastery of something that is a an endurance expression is something where you can sustain that for a long period of time. So ability to go long, we could also say the ability to be able to go hard, right? So it's a higher output, shorter duration event. Um, We could call it like some sort of like a fixed distance, for example, a time trial. So something like a 1K row time trial or the 10 minute test on the air bike are both great examples of ability to be able to hold a high threshold uh, for a certain period of time. And then lastly, I would say it's also your capacity of doing mixed tests, so things that have different movements that are incorporated in them. Simple example could be something like a triathlon, right? Where it's um, swimming, biking, and running. And we could do something that is very similar in CrossFit, for example, triple three, um, or it could be something like a Metcon where it's very high intensity and the cyclical component is a relatively small chunk of that total work that you're doing. But again, abilities to be able to do Express your capacity on a number of uh, different tests that are mixed. So improving your comfort, your ability to be able to go long, ability to to be able to go hard, and your capacity to do mixed tests. Next, I want to go over some of the prerequisites to power. So this is if you want to produce power, this is what you need to have before you're going to be able to do that. Step number one is to learn the correct technique for whatever erg we're talking about, whatever machine we're talking about. We're going to get deep into that in the next section. Step number two is to build a base. So this is sustainable work. We could call this your oxidative capacity. So it's your aerobic engine, right? You're just building a big base of contractions, right? It's your ability to be able to produce muscular work and have that far end muscular endurance as a quality. Um, And there's going to be a whole bunch of physiological uh, you know responses that occur and adaptations that occur as a result from this everything from building your capillary density So you have more networks of blood vessels to be able to carry um, oxygen to working muscles uh, You know we'll have adaptations that occur to cardiac tissue. So literally your heart will be able to um, expand the chambers and be able to take on and be able to You know basically put out more blood at a single shot with stroke volume um, Your hematocrit levels will improve so things like red blood cell count right um, even, you know, your respiratory tissue. So your diaphragm might become more fatigue resistant, right? There's all these qualities that we're trying to drive, um, as a part of this, um, aerobic base building that's taking place. Um, if you're someone who's curious as more of the physiology about this, I did a really good episode. It's one of my favorites with Matt Webkey of the gains lab in his words. Um, having an oxidative engine is maybe 40% of the equation for building an engine for CrossFit, right? And I'm paraphrasing there, but that was sort of what he thought about the subject. And he goes deep on that. That was episode number 26, if people are interested and want to listen to that one. Um, The thing that I think is important that we understand about building a base is that building a base, people think going long. And that's obviously true. Like you, if you want to be able to go for a long period of time, you have to build that aerobic base. However, it's also an essential supportive mechanism for shorter duration events. So even if someone is what we might consider to be like a lactic athlete where they're sort of, um, in a maybe five to 15 minute time domain, right? if they're doing a two K row, you still need a really big base of support to be able to express appropriately on a test like that. I have a really good example here. Um, Erin Cafaro, she is, she's actually in the CrossFit space. She uh, married Brian McKenzie of, uh, you know, what was CrossFit endurance and power speed endurance. And she actually ran power speed endurance for a while. Anyway, she is a two-time Olympic champion in rowing, and her race was the 2K, and for her, and I forget if it was a partner or team, but it was a a sub, basically sub six-minute event for them. So it's a very lactic event, short, powerful. Um, Her weekly volume when she was training for the Olympics was over 200,000 meters per week. So let that sink in for a minute. Even if she was, let's say she takes a day off, right, which I'm sure she did. That leaves six training days in a week. That means over the average of that week, as an average, she's rowing over 33,000 meters a day. Again, this is for a sub six minute event, right? Obviously, that's going to change over time and undulate as she gets closer to competition and tapering and peaking the whole deal. However, understand like that's the kind of base that we're talking about. It's really big. It's really broad. It's allowing and supporting the other adaptations that are coming above that. So learn the correct technique, build a base. And then three would be build pace tolerance. So this is with unsustainable work now. So we've done the sustainable work. Now we're adding a a layer on top of that with unsustainable work. So this is your ability to either get to or to be able to hold for a longer period of time, a particular pace. So different communities are going to call this different things, right? Like runners might call this, you know, their tempo day or tempo run. Um, people might call this VO two max training. Um, you know, people will call it like repeats, um, lactate threshold, um, race pace for like people who are doing shorter events. You know, all that kind of language is kind of talking about like, Hey, we're at a threshold and we're trying to maintain that for as long as we can. We rest and we repeat. So it's anytime you're having to rest and repeat, that's unsustainable work. And that's an important distinction to make here. So again, one of the the big themes that we're seeing is that it's intervals that accumulate to the work that you're going to be doing. Like for example, you know, if you are trying to run a five minute mile and you can't run a five minute mile, therefore you can't just go out and run a five minute mile. If you could do that, you would do it, right? So you have to be able to do multiple intervals at maybe a five minute pace or slightly above in terms of going faster than a five minute pace. Um, and that way you can allow that work to accumulate over multiple intervals to possibly be way more than a mile at that pace, right? So it's a way to accumulate really specific pace in terms of work. Now, up to this point, I'm kind of giving you general ideas about how to train, like of the cyclical training that you're doing, do a certain percentage in this more sustainable aerobic nature and do some of your training at a unsustainable, more pace maintenance and trying to get to threshold um, and race pace Type work, right? And it's that combination. If you're doing both of those and you're focusing on the repeatability and the sustainability, that's a really good start. But I'll also say it's not enough. Step number four is to get specific. So general training for general goals will get you generally fit. However, you're never going to be great at anything because you're always kind of chasing multiple things. I think it's maybe a good analogy would be crossfit.com programming sort of Um, maybe what Glassman's original um, vision for CrossFit was. It's like you're going to do infrequent touches of all these different things, and you're going to get generally good at a bunch of different skills, but you'll never get great at anything. Um, Coincidentally, this is not how CrossFit games and really good elite-level CrossFit athletes are training because, again, the goal is not to be generally okay at everything. The goal is to be the very best that you can be At tests, the way they're going to appear in the CrossFit, maybe semifinals and games, right? So you're optimizing for those types of tests. So we need to be the best that we very can be at combinations, unique combinations of, you know, box jump overs and burpees and ring muscle ups and double unders and snatches and rowing, right? You need to be good at all those different things. However, it's still a relatively narrow window as to actually what you need to be good at. And contrary to popular belief within the CrossFit community, CrossFit athletes are not good at everything. You know, put the average elite world-class CrossFit athlete on the the start line of a local 5K run. And, I mean, they're going to beat a lot of the couch to 5Kers. (laughs) um, But a lot of the recreational runners who don't even take it very seriously will beat that elite CrossFit athlete. It comes back to things like the said principle. Specific adaptation to impose demands. Basically, whatever you expose yourself to is what you're going to adapt to and get better at. So if you're only running, you're going to adapt to running really well. Whereas if you put a bunch of inputs, so to speak, into your system, you're going to get a varying number of outputs. Right? You're never going to get really good at that one thing. And CrossFit is what we would call concurrent training, meaning that you're trying to get better at more than one thing at a time. I actually did a guide on concurrent training and had two different videos that I have public for free that you can watch. Um, I will link to them in the show notes. Um, The first one is combining powerlifting and running. Like for example, if someone wants to do a powerlifting meet in their off season, and they also want to do like a half marathon race um, later in the year, how might they combine those two things? I also did a second video for a CrossFit athlete of how they would get better at a row progression and also getting stronger in their Olympic lifts at the same time. So, those are two examples of concurrent training. I have two very detailed videos showing a specific programming. You can get access to the spreadsheets, the whole deal, um, if you go to the show notes and check them out. Again, show notes are always sworfitnesscom slash podcast slash the episode number. In this case, it'll be 053. So, again, sworfitness.com/podcast/slash slash podcast slash 053. Okay, so next I want to get into technique tips. So, Just so everyone knows, it's sort of beyond the scope of this podcast to get into every single erg, the techniques that are best, the common errors that I see, and what we can do to correct them. Plus, you know, the podcast platform really doesn't lend itself super well to something that's really visual like technique is. So this is what I've done is sort of a workaround. (laughs) Um, I've put each of the ergs, so rower, air bike, bike erg, ski erg, and air runner, or true form you could sub in there. Um, And for each of those, I put a whole bunch of, I listed out a whole bunch of technique videos um, on different topics that will be relevant to each of those and how to optimize your technique for each of those um, implements. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go through the most common error I see on each of the ergs and then how to fix that common error. So if you want, again, to be able to see all of those technique videos, show notes, it's where everything's linked out fitness.com slash podcast slash 53. fifty-three. Let's get into the most common mistakes and how to fix them. Let's get into the rower. Excluding damper setting, because I think that is probably the most common error I see. <laughs> um basically what you should know about damper setting is you know, no one should be on a 10, no one should be on a one. Put it somewhere in the middle, and you'll probably be okay. Besides damper setting, the most common error that I see is errors in sequencing the pool and the recovery. So um, the pool should basically follow this sequence of the legs drive, then the hips open, then you pull with your arms. And then on the recovery, in other words, going back in, right? It's going to be the mirror opposite of that. So you're going to unbend your arms, right? So now it's arms, hips, and legs. So legs, hips, arms, arms, hips, legs. And you're going to follow that basic sequence. And it shouldn't be really distinct. Like you shouldn't just push with your legs and then open up, right? It's going to be the seamless blend of those three things. But even in a very smooth stroke, you're going to see that those unique stages take place, right? It's sort of like weightlifting. You're going to have the first pull and then you're going to have the second pull and then you're going to bend your arms, right? There's a very specific sequence that needs to take place for you to be as efficient as you possibly can in the movement. So again, that's probably the most common error that I see. I have again, a number of videos on how to sequence the pulling recovery correctly, if you're someone who feels like you might be struggling with that. But again, in general, the most common fix that I have for this is just to slow the athlete down. Like if you're rowing really quickly, especially if you're relatively new to rowing or your sequencing is off, you're going to be bleeding power all over the place. First thing I can have you do is just stop you at different points in your stroke and be like, okay, hold this catch position for me. Okay. Now push back with the legs, hold, stop, right there. Okay, great. Move them around a little bit and then continue, right? So that's basically how I would go about um, adjusting an athletes positioning, which, you know, all movement is, is a sequence of positions, right? Position built movement. So what we can do is stop them, have them go in very slow motion, and then slowly start to speed that up and making sure that they're still hitting those positions throughout the row stroke. And that will allow them to be able to get into the correct positions and ultimately build the right technique. So just sequencing the pool and the recovery, I think is the most important thing for the rower. It's the thing that I see errors with all the time. So for biking, this could be an air bike. This could be a bike erg. This could be an actual bike that you're riding on land. Crazy concept. I know um, the most important thing. And the thing that I see people skip over, and I think that's a huge error. The most common one that I see is not having your bike set up correctly. I bought a road bike when I was in high school. And one of the first things that I did was have someone who is certified in how to position me on the bike, fit that bike to my anthropometrics, right? So make sure that the seat height and the seat slide are exactly where they need to be and the pitch of the seat is right, right? Where are the handlebars? How far are they from my, um, based on my torso length and based on Again, each of the lengths of my body, how can I adjust it just a little bit so I can get a little bit more aerodynamic or a little bit more efficient, a little bit more leg power out of where I'm at, right? So obviously for a lot of things, like for example, a bike erg, um, there's a limited number of things that you can do, right? You can move the seat up and down. You could move forward and back. Practically, most people aren't going to, right? And then certainly you can move the handle height, you know, back, you know, in the slide and also in the height, right? So there's limited things that you can do what you need to do is figure out what can I do to get as most efficient as I can in that position. The most common error that I see for the bike again, regardless of which type it is, is that the seat height is not right. And generally this is because the seat height is too low. If the seat height is too high, people can usually feel that like they really feel like they're starting to reach for the pedals and that their hips are shifting um, in space. And that's not a very comfortable or efficient or effective place to power from. Um, and pedal from. However, when they're a little bit too low, it's still comfortable to be able to sit in that position. However, what happens is a lot of people, their, their quads start screaming at them a little bit early, um, relative to what maybe they could, right? So they have, um, a little bit more VMO fatigue. So like that muscle, like that teardrop muscle of your quad, um, that's, will start acting up a little bit early fatigue and burning up a little bit early. Um, if your seat is just a little bit too low. So again, the simple fix here, is to make sure that you have someone around you or watch a YouTube video of someone who knows what they're doing to set up for each of the specific bikes that you're on and to be able to optimize your setup. And once you have it and you figure out how to maximize your power output, then memorize it, right? So maximize and memorize. So I know for the assault bike, I'm at a seven and I'm one notch from it being all the way back, right? And that's really the only things that I can adjust besides making sure that the feet are level, like the pegs are, are level. Um, for the biker, I ride on a 15 and I make sure that the handles all the way towards me and, you know, a good portion of the way up in the slide. Again, I have that memorized. It's something that I can do very efficiently. And it's something that I really took the time to figure out one time and that now I don't have to figure out anymore, right? I've memorized it. So maximize and memorize. Let's move on to the ski erg for the ski erg. The most common error that I see is people just not effectively using their hips and loading their lats and long head of the tricep um, in an efficient way. So they're not initiating the movement from the hips, having that transmit through the core and to be able to effectively whip the system of like lat, you know, arm, tricep of that complex through. So basically what happens in practicality for a lot of people is that they don't sit the hips back at the initiation of the stroke and rather they think about just kind of squatting down or they bend the arms early and kind of close off the shoulder. So um, the fix for this is really making sure that you let the athlete initiate back and down with the hips to start the movement, keep the core tight, and then to let the arms get pulled open at the very start and then whip them through at the end. This is how you take advantage of that um, mechanical loading of that system, sort of a stretch reflex that takes place, is that you're going to load that system on stretch and then you're going to whip it through at the last minute. right? So keep those arms fairly straight you know i know that's an area of debate for some people but that's what really allows you to get the most whip out of that that action of your upper body load the hips back and down keep the core tight and whip through with your upper body um, and that's probably the most efficient way that i believe that you can skier and lastly is running and this could also be on an air runner or a true form the most common error that I see is overstriding. So in other words, someone is reaching out in front of their body with their foot rather than having it land under their center of mass. And as a result, they're often heel striking along with that overstriding. So their heel lands and impacts first, and then their forefoot sort of slaps down, which is actually why a lot of people get shin splints when they start running. If they're besides just the fact that they're maybe not tolerated, um, you know, they don't have the tolerance of a, a higher running volume yet. Besides that, it could be that they're overstriding, heel striking. And again, that forefoot kind of slaps down and their anterior tip, um, can't handle the volume of that eccentric loading, um, which is one of the reasons why that can happen. Again, basically what's happening, that foot's landing out in front of the body and it's basically acting like a break every single step that you're doing. So it's, you're out there, putting it out there, stopping yourself or, you know, slowing yourself down and then speeding yourself back up it's sort of the equivalent of someone driving a car and having one foot on the g- brake and one foot on the gas, right? It's a very inefficient way to go about running and it's one that you're going to break yourself if you do that long enough. So, the fix for this, I think one of the simplest fixes that you can do is learn to increase your cadence, so the number of steps per minute that you're taking. I think a good goal for most athletes is to get very close to 180 steps per minute. So that would be 90 right-footed strikes in a minute, right? What I've liked to do for some of the athletes that I know have been struggling with this is I'll have them download a metronome app where they have to maintain their cadence at a certain number of steps per minute. And that helps cue them to make sure that they're um, on that cadence. So number one is to increase your your cadence if you you haven't yet, or if you know that that could be an issue or to figure that out and troubleshoot that. Um, While you're doing that and increasing your cadence, I would focus on making sure that you're having that foot come down and land underneath your center of mass. So just consciously, rather than thinking about reaching out and having a long stride, thinking about having it land underneath you and having that foot propel you forward, right? So making sure that you're being as efficient as possible rather than really just thinking about having really long strides, right? Those are always the two things with running. It's like it's your your cadence and your stride length. If you're reaching too far, and that's part of the problem, increasing your cadence should help with that. If you're maintaining your pace, And then also thinking about consciously having that foot land underneath you should also be helpful. So now I want to go through three machine-based tests and I have a training program or at least a week of a training program built out for each of these. Um, So I want to kind of walk through the three sessions that I've wrote for each one of these and explain how you could progress each of them. Again, the three tests that I'm going to be walking us through is a 1K row time trial, the 10 minute test on an air bike, and then triple three, again, 3K row, 300 double three mile air runner. Um, that's sort of like the regionals version that was, um, yeah, they, they did the, the run portion on air runner. Very boring to watch. <laughs> um, moving on. Some of the assumptions that I have here. Um, I'm assuming that the, the people doing this program or maybe the avatar that I wrote this for, right? The athlete is someone who's already been working out consistently and has some level of fitness, a base of fitness established already. This is not someone who's super novice coming into this. Um, It's someone who um, has already tested the workout, right? So they know some of the metrics, the paces that they held previously, and they've maybe done some similar time trials. So one of the things that you'll see is that I might be having them work off a a 5k time trial pace, right? So even though they're building towards a 1k, they might be like, okay, I've done the 1k, I've done a 5k, I've done a 2k, I've done my PRs and all of those. Now I can start to build out progressions based on and, and workouts based on some of those, those metrics. Um, and then also assumes that they're, you know, doing very minimal other interfering work, let's call it during their, their week that would maybe just contribute to, I mean, it could contribute to fitness, but it also could contribute to fatigue. So for example, if we have a CrossFit athlete and they're doing Metcons and strength training sessions, and then they're also trying to do this 1K time trial program on top of that, three sessions a week could be just way too much for them, right? Where they might not even need that much to be able to adapt appropriately. Um, and likely that would be a pretty bad idea unless it's like an elite CrossFit athlete where they're doing like 12 plus sessions in a week. Um, for you know a lot of CrossFit athletes, they might be able to get away with having a a progression that is literally one session per week. And they just have another enough other supportive work in terms of base level of fitness throughout their week that they can adapt to that effectively. So for example, if we get them on an air runner, even once a week, they can maintain a lot of the run qualities that are necessary for them to be able to perform when they get to a, maybe a, a in-person competition where we know they might actually be running um, by increasing that just a little bit. If we just have them do that maintenance volume, right? So if we have someone and they are doing like a 1K row progression, it might be enough to have them do one, maybe two sessions a week. And because they're doing running or rowing in Metcons and they're doing it, you know, having enough other base level of fitness for other things, it allows them to actually make progress. So, again, I'm assuming that that's maybe not the case, where this person might be doing some other work, but it's not enough or it's not interfering in those ways. So, these three tests. I picked each of them because they're a different duration in terms of time that an athlete's preparing for. And as a result, there's going to be different qualities that are necessary to be successful in those events. So something like a 1K row time trial is a very short, very powerful, um, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of three to three and a half minutes for a lot of athletes. So again, a very sprint based event, something like the 10 minute test on the assault bike or the air bike, um, Again, this is something that definitely requires a lot of power output, but it also requires a lot of aerobic qualities as well to be able to express well on that. And then something like triple three is going to be significantly longer. The better part of an hour, a lot of people are going to take to do an event like that. So it's something that is much more endurance-based and almost exclusively aerobic in that context. So those are kind of why I picked each of them. Let's start with the 1K row time trial. This is something that is very short. And because it's very short, it's going to require a lot of interval work in the training just because you can't sustain something that's such a high intensity, like sustainable work is not going to carry over very well to something as short as a 1K row. So again, as a result, you're going to have to do much more intensity and make sure that the intensity is really the thing that's driving a lot of the uh, the training progressions, right? And allowing the volume just sort of be a result of accumulating that intensity. Um, and really the volume is going to be falling as intensity and you are the number of continuous efforts that you're doing. In other words, building towards the time trial um, to be building. So intensity falls as the intensity and the continuousness of the, the uh, progression is building. So let's get into the 1K time trial sessions. The first session, session number one of three. This is a repeat sprint ability. So you're holding above the pace that you're going to hold for the 1K time trial. For a certain period of time, you'll rest and then you'll repeat. So here's the workout it's a 15 minute external clock. You're going to be rowing at your max pace plus eight seconds until failure. So in other words, your max pace, say you're male and the fastest pace that you can get to physically possible on the rower is a 120 pace. Then you would be then holding a 128 pace for as long as you can, because that's your max pace plus eight seconds. So 128, as long as you possibly can, once you fail, you're going to rest 90 seconds. And then you repeat that with the goal being as accumulate as many meters as possible across that 15 minute time domain. I read it one more time and it was confusing. 15 minute external clock. You're rowing at that max pace plus eight seconds. So it will be 128 until failure. Once you fail, rest 90 seconds and repeat. So it's a repeat sprint. Just as it sounds repeat sprint ability type workout. So for each of these sessions, I want to give you some ways that you could progress this type of session. So the first way that you progress it would just be to have it be auto-regulated. So in other words, you really don't change anything and you allow progressions in fitness. Like as you get more fit, you're going to be doing more work or to get deeper in the workout. So in this case, you know, if you were more fit and you had the exact same workout in the next week, you know, week one, you do this and you got, I don't know, um, 1200 meters on that workout. Okay. Then the next week you come back and you get 1300 or 1350, you're going to progress even though you didn't change the workout at all. So I would prefer that as sort of auto-regulated. You could add time to the total duration. So in other words, let's say a 20 minute external clock or a 25 minute external clock. You could increase the pace requirement. So in other words, instead of being your max pace plus eight seconds, it could be your max pace plus six seconds. And then the next week, plus four seconds, right? So it's really, really fast, really, really intense work. Or it could just be to decrease the rest time once you fail. So instead of resting 90 seconds in between ex- efforts, it could be rest 60 seconds, rest 45 seconds, rest 30 seconds, right? All ways that you could progress this. And each of those could be different based on like what type of athlete you are, right? I'm not saying that this is what you should progress it. It could be unique, right? It's, I'm just giving you examples. So the first one was that the first session was that repeat sprint ability. Session number two is aerobic accumulation. So this is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, doing some of the supportive aerobic work that's going to help you to be able to express the best you can when you actually get to that really intense work. Here's the workout. Six sets of a 1K row at 70% effort. You'll rest two minutes between. So the goal of those Efforts is for them to be very sustainable, very repeatable. So 70% shouldn't feel like you're dying, right? And it should be 70% effort on your last interval. So, again, getting up to six total K in terms of work in that session. And again, there's a number of ways that we progress this week over week. It could be like, once again, you just auto regulate it, you don't change anything. However, the next week when you come back, 70% hopefully feels a little bit easier where you row a little bit faster over each of those 6K, right? It could be that you increase the number of sets for your are So the number of the total volume or distance that you're accumulating um, increases as you go from six sets to seven sets to eight sets. It could be to increase the perceived effort, right? Instead of 70%, 75% effort, 80% effort. Um, you could decrease the rest time between those where it's more continuous work instead of sort of intervals or like through really long intervals or the opposite where you could actually make that where it's, you know, a shorter interval in that way. You could push the intensity a little bit more. Again, you can get creative with it. There's all different ways that you could progress this session. Three is a race pace build. So here you're basically exactly as it sounds. You were doing efforts at your projected race pace, and you're going to do these more continuously as you get deeper into the weeks. So the sample session that I wrote for this third session, five sets is an EMOM for three minutes every minute on the minute for 3 minutes you're doing a 30 second row at your 1k time trial pace so again let's say your 1k time trial pace i'll use mine um mine's a 135 right so i'd be doing every minute for 3 minutes i'm rowing 30 seconds at a 135 pace right and then after i go through that 3 minute Imam, i will rest until an 8 out of 10 recovery so, what I think is 80% of fully recovered, and then I'll start back up into another three minute Imam. So, again, five sets of that three minute Imam, and you're resting to an eight out of 10 recovery between. If you're someone who wants to visualize these, I have this as a spreadsheet um, on the, in the show notes. So, again, be sure to check that out. So, here's how I would progress this session. I would make sure that I'm progressing in this in all three ways. So rather than saying you get to pick one of these, I'd make sure that you are progressing this particular session in all three of these ways. Number one would be to decrease the number of sets that you're doing. So rather than doing five sets, the next week you might be doing four, the next week you might be doing three. Decreasing the number of the total working sets, increasing the rest time or the perceived recovery between. So an eight to 10 out of re, out of uh, recovery is subjective, right? I'm feeling like I'm 80% recovered. I could say you're waiting until you feel like an 8.5 out of 10 recovery, a nine recovery, right? Or a 100%, like a 10 out of 10 full recovery between, make sure you feel like 100% before you go into the next one. And then I would also say that you're gonna increase the work to rest ratio. So rather than this being a three minute imam of 30 seconds, you know, week number two, I would say it's probably gonna be 35 week number three it might be 40. And eventually you're going to build to where maybe you're going like a, a three minute EMOM of 60 seconds, right? Where it's can now continuous work. You're doing the time trial basically, right? So that sort of idea that you're building towards that continuous time trial type pace. Next, let's talk about the 10 minute test on the air bike. So this is for accumulative calories, meaning that you're getting as many calories as possible across that 10 minutes. So this is obviously a very lactic test for anyone who's done it. It is painful. Um, So for something like this, you're going to be doing a lot of these sort of moderate duration, um, pretty hard efforts because that's what's required, obviously, to build towards that. So basically, you're building time at intensity. So it's somewhere in that middle ground. It's not sprint. It's not easy, continuous work. It's somewhere right in the middle that lactic zone. And the general idea that, again, that I want people thinking about is you're going to start with a, a relatively high volume program, and you're going to, have that program or that that volume slowly drop, and as that volume drops, the intensity of this program is going to increase. And the idea is that at the very end, you're at the highest intensity, the least amount of volume, and that's where we're going to be able to express across that ten minutes the best you possibly can. So, that being said, let's get into the three sessions. The first session, it's a twenty-minute AMRAP, and it's a twenty-two-second air bike at sixty-five percent of your max wattage you'll rest as you need to. And then you're going to repeat that again, as many times as possible, making sure that you maintain your wattage for that entire 22 seconds. So for example, um, if your max wattage is 1600, 65% might be um, 1100 or something like that, right? So you're going to hold that 1100, the entire 22 seconds, you're going to rest as little as you possibly need so that you can get as many like reps, so to speak of that 22 second sprint across that 20 minutes ways that you could progress this number one would just be to auto-regulate it again. So don't touch it, let it go, but allow your progression in fitness. Like you got more fit. So you're going to be able to do more of those quote reps in that 20 minute time domain. You could also just increase the the duration of, um, the AMRAP. So instead of a 20 minute AMRAP, you move it to 25 sec, to 25 minutes or to 30 minutes. Um, you could, increase the wattage requirement. So instead of 65% of your max wattage, it could be 70% of your max wattage, 75% of your max wattage. Or you could increase the sprint duration. Instead of 22 seconds, you can make it 24 seconds, 26 seconds, 28, 30 seconds. <laughs> Good luck. Um, but that is our extended sprint ability session. Session number two is aerobic accumulation, just like the 1K. So here it's a 45 minute air bike at a zone two heart rate. That's it very simple, right? It's 70 for so for zone 2 in our model is 70 to 80% of your max heart rate. So this is something that is moderate. It shouldn't feel like death, but it also shouldn't be easy, right? It's again somewhere in that middle zone um where you're going to get a, a good number of qualities from um yeah, that that work. So, again, the first way you can do it, once again, auto regulate it. Don't touch it. Just let it go, but you should be able to as your fitness improves, hold a higher wattage at that same zone two heart rate. So even if you average, you know, 134 beats per minute across that 45 minutes this week and across the 45 minutes next week, hopefully instead of being at 250 watts, you'll be at 260 watts, right? It's just a little bit more. And as a result, you accumulate a little bit more um, total distance on the earth. You could increase the duration instead of 45 minutes, 60 or 75 minutes, right? You could move it to long intervals instead of continuous work. So for example, you could do, um, five sets of eight minutes on two minutes off, right? Or what you could do, um, and I really like doing this sort of thing is instead of doing on off intervals where it's like work rest, make it where it's high, low intervals. So harder work, easier work, but you're continuing to work the entire time. So an example could be, um, seven sets of five minutes at moderate pace, Three minutes at an easy pace, and you're again you're flipping back and forth between those two. So that's our aerobic accumulation session. Session number three is a race pace build. So there's a warm up. I'm not going to read that. Um, the main chunk of this is a 10 minute Imam of 30 seconds at your 10 minute test average wattage. So, um, for example, my average 10 minute test wattage was 420 watts. So. Very simple, 10 minute EMOM. Each minute I'm doing 30 seconds at 420 watts. That's it. So it's a one-to-one work-rest ratio. And then you're going to progress this each week by just adding a little bit of duration to each of those minutes of the EMOM. So instead of it being 30 seconds each minute, you might make it be 35 seconds each minute or 40 seconds, 45, 50 seconds each minute. The goal being like once you get to like 50 or 55 seconds, you really have almost zero rest before you're back at that pace again. And the idea then is that you're confident enough and that you've adapted enough of your physiology, where then you can express the desired pace that you have across that entire 10 minute time trial event. So if you're someone who's curious and you want more resources on the 10 minute test, I have some resources that are, you can you know have available to you. Number one, it just be the salt fitness app. So I created an aerobic power program for them. And the uh, 10 minute salt bike test is one of them. And you can download that for free and get the entire 10 week program. Um, I will link to that in the show notes. I'm sure if you just um, go to it, like in your apps and search for assault fitness workouts, you will find that and you'll be able to find my program on there fairly easily. The second one would be our program on the website cyclical supremacy. So this is a 12 week row air bike and run program, but the air bike portion of it, the way we're progressing you to is a 10 minute time trial on the bike right? Getting as many cumulative calories as you can, the 10 minute fast. So, if you're somebody who's curious about those, again, I will link to them in the show notes. Let's move on. Our last program, the sample program that we got is Triple Three. So, again, 3K row, 300, 300 double unders, and a three mile air runner. I realize that double unders is not an erg, but it's still a cyclical movement. And it's really a very, very small portion of this workout. And it's really like a little bit of rowing. Very little double unders and a lot of running. <laughs> in practicality, that's how this workout structured. We haven't talked a lot about running yet, um, but obviously it's very important and um, something that a lot of people care a lot about. So I think it's, I wanted to include something that's mixed, but also involves running. This could have very easily been something like Murph as well, which is one mile run and sort of the bookends of this CrossFit workout is um, something that could be very similar in terms of duration and overall output that's required for a test like this. So for a longer test like this, number one, I'm going to say that you're you're going to need less overall interval work as you're preparing for a test like this. Um, So basically, you're just more thinking this is a volume build, like you're continuing to build the amount of volume that you're handling. And it's going to go from like maybe 50% of your final, like the end test volume, maybe 60% and 70%, 80%. And eventually you'll, you'll maybe deload the week before and then hit the actual test itself right? So you're just building volume the entire time. And this is just something that's really common for, you know, if anyone's doing a, you know, half marathon, a marathon, it's like a new distance that they've never actually conquered yet, so to speak. Um, this is how you're going to build for it, right? You're going to continue to build your volume and keep the intensity a little bit lower throughout. And that's how you'll get your, your best expression of that test. And this is the inverse of what we saw on the other two. So for the other two, there are more power, um, capacity based tests, obviously power is still important here. However, the endurance qualities are really what's going to be, you know, holding a lot of, especially CrossFit athletes who do this workout back. So this is the idea that we're continuing to build this athlete's contraction volume leading up to the event. So with that caveat, let's get into the actual sessions. Session number one is a run focus. Session number two is a row and double under focus. Session number three is a rehearsal volume build. So actually doing all three movements the way that you're going to see them. So that run-focused session, session number one, Um, again, I have them going through a warm-up, some striders, which is basically just like form-focused running, and then on the air runner, I have them doing five to six continuous rounds of work. It's a one-minute walk at a brisk pace, (laughs) one-minute run at a smooth pace, and then one-minute run at a 5K time trial average wattage. So because the paces on the air runner are so dramatically different from what someone could perform on land, like... 2 minutes per mile slower <laughs> moving from land to the air runner like the first time I tried to do a air runner 5k time trial I tried to hold my paces that I could hold on land and it completely destroyed my soul it was a really bad idea so what I like to do for the athletes that I coach is I'll put all of their air runner stuff into wattage and that's sort of its own separate skill and don't think of air runner and running as the same thing right the paces on there don't try to compare them to the paces on land i think that's a pretty good recommendation so that's why i use wattage in this case so again, it's basically walking, running at a very slow pace, and then running at a moderate pace, and then moving through rounds of that where you're building. Um, that's that first session. So ways that you could progress this, number one would just be to um, increase the amount of time that that person has at race pace intensity. So instead of it being one minute walk, one minute run at a smooth pace, one minute run at the 5k pace, you're going to go one one two or one, one, three, one, one, four, right, right? Where it's again, a greater percentage of the time that you're spending is at a higher pace. And then also you're accumulating more volume as a result of that. You could also just flat out increase the number of rounds that you're doing. Um, that would work as well. <laughs> Second session would be this row double under focus. I've been both through a one one K row at a ramping pace. Um, it's about a single unders, just getting some bounding prep and then three sets of the main work of 1,000 meter row at the 5K time trial pace, 100 double unders, and then rest two to three minutes between rounds, right? So again, that's not super challenging. This would be something that's, again, still pretty pretty moderate, right? Um, and then after that, they're going to go into 3K row at a nasal cap. So basically making sure that you're breathing through your nose the entire time. If you start feeling like that's a real problem, just slow it down and back it off, right? You're capped at that um, nasal effort. So... Again, you're going through, it would have been three, six, seven total kilometers of work on the rower. So you're getting a lot of, of rowing work in there. And for this one, you just have them increase it from being three sets with two to three minutes rest in between. You could either increase the number of sets that you're doing. You could de- drop the, the actual paces that you're holding for those times where it's a, a faster pace, or you could reduce the rest time between those sets. Any of those would be perfectly fine. Session number three. This is our rehearsal volume build. So again, we're starting at a maybe half of what you would see for triple three is in the entire event. And you're building up to what will become the entirety, the, the total volume that you're actually going to see on race day. So in the session, I have some additional aerobic work in the beginning and end of the session. I'm going to skip over that. The bulk of the session is for time at 85 to 90% effort. So it's a hard effort. They're going to be doing a 1500 meter row into 150 double-unders, into a 1.5-mile run. So half the volume, 50% of the volume, but it executed a very high effort. Um, and then what I would probably have this progression build out as is just building the volume up to the full test. So uh, week two might be 2K, 200, two miles. Week three could be 2.5K, 250 double-unders, 2.5 miles. And then the, the final week could be maybe deload in between this, but then 3K, 300, three miles, the full triple-three. So you could also just remove some of the other supportive aerobic work at the beginning of the end of session to make sure that the, in, the intensity of that can stay a really high so that that person can, again, express the best that they possibly can when it actually comes down to their race day. So overall here, the, my goal was really not to give you these specific sessions to help you with a singular quality um, that has very little utility outside a specific athlete with a very specific goal um, at a particular time. Rather, my goal was to help you develop a toolbox, uh, a skill set to be able to think about how to develop ERG-based cyclical movements and being able to think about how to structure and progress sessions based on your unique demands. Because overall, putting principles in practice is what allows you to master the machines. Hey, it's been again thanks for listening today to be completely honest it's been really rewarding to have people who listen to the show regularly reach out to me whether they have a question about training or just to say hey so if you haven't done that yet do it i'm pretty good about getting back to people and you can feel free to email me ben at or message me on instagram at sore and graciously i've had some people reach out to me and ask how they can support the show Number one way that you can support the show if you are a regular listener is just by rating the show. Most apps have a platform where you can actually rate it, and on Apple Podcasts you can write a review as well. This is super helpful in having other coaches and athletes find the podcast, but also just having it grow and for me to continue to want to put out more and more content. Also, I'm gonna be posting more full episodes of the fitness movement to our YouTube channel. So if you're something who you actually enjoys seeing my face when I talk you can head over to YouTube and subscribe if you please. And if you're someone who is watching on YouTube, you have the ability to like our videos, but then you can also comment on the video if you have questions about the episode or if you want to suggest a topic for a future episode. And lastly, if you're someone who really does value what we're putting out, I would encourage you to hire a coach. For me, coaching is the bulk of my job and it's what I believe I do best. So if you're an athlete or a coach looking to up your fitness game, be sure to reach out. You can message me on Instagram at Zord Fitness or email me then at ZwarFitness.com. Thanks again for listening today. And as always, stay the course.